Welcome to Writer's Radio, which broadcasts the beautiful, fanciful, and engaging work of talented writers from our neighborhood and yours. I'm Carol Harmon. In today's episode, Traces on the Page, we join award-winning Canadian poet and fiction writer Jen Curran. We begin with Jen reading her poem, Stormy Morning, which will segue into a conversation with Writer's Radio producer Ingrid Rose about Jen's recently published short story collection, Hider Seeker. Jen will then read an excerpt from one of these stories, Dinner Party. Enjoy listening. Stormy morning. April. I collect words as if they will bring comprehension, burst forth, juice from a pithy fruit. You give an orange slice smile. Okay, we're human. Breakfast, toast in the forest, etc. Assemblies not allowed by the just updated health order. Everyone loves for a while the famous doctor, but we have to tell our friends to go home again. For a while, she cured herself of cancer, called it angel, winged tumor of light, but in the end had to live abstractly, which is to say not actually live, not on this plane. I am eating milk daily, contemplating my reading disorder. It might seem arrogant to send a book to a stranger or stuff a bag with painkillers. And what does pain kill? Enigmatic angels blessing our morning sex, breezy, a piece of legal-sized paper blown off the balcony like a love note flung to the river below. Loved every ripple. Loved the gray snout of the sky. Loved going home. She said, these losses, constant. Dolphins listening, interested in wave upon wave. I'm Ingrid Rose, and I'm talking with Jen Curran. This is a short conversation on Writers Radio with the author of a number of books. And the one that we will be hearing from is an excerpt from one of her stories from Hyder Seeker, published by Anvil Press, I think in 2018. Jen, your wonderful poems that really are, for me, a kind of echo chamber. They recreate the sense of being alive, but the peculiar sense that we as humans have, where we fill our moments with our observations and our thoughts. And 
Just before we started the recording of our conversation, you and I were talking about how hard it is to press language into the service of what it is we want to express. And I was interested, you used the word trace. And I don't know if you can sort of recall what you were saying. Yes, yes. I, yeah, I, I was trying to articulate just the really difficult, although very rewarding challenge of trying to bring lived experience in all of the dimensions one might encounter to the page. And I find poetry um, for me is a natural go-to for that huge range of human experience. And, but with fiction, which I've been working on more seriously in the last 10 years, short stories, it is a huge challenge. And I often feel I'm failing to try and bring that, the, the, that multitude, you know, the multitude of our experiences and all the layers within one experience. So one scene between two friends that I was working on this this morning that slept together once, but they're essentially friends. And how to bring all those layers of feeling. There's a lot going on between those two people into a scene. Um, and and it's, yeah, the term I was using earlier was trace, that we could get maybe 10% or less of the richness of lived experience onto the page. I mean, I think far less actually, even than 10%. And, and that's, that's so hard, right? Because you, and I think that's why so many writers stop in their tracks and I understand why. You know, you have this vision in your head or this feeling in your body and, and it's, it's immense and it's amazing or it's really hard and disturbing, but you want to bring it to the page and you just can't. You never can in its fullness. And so right there, many people give up. You know, you, you have all these feelings, you have all these thoughts, you write all these pages and you look at the pages and you're like, what the hell is this? You know, <laughs> how could this, you know, be a record of, of what, you know, all that was swirling in my mind and heart and body and my spirit. Um, I guess that's where patience and, and kindness, self-compassion comes in. Um, without those, it's hard to... <laughs> continue the process, especially fiction, I find, especially fiction for me. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so your title of this, your first collection of stories, Hide a Seeker, they, it, they come from two of the stories towards the end of the collection. But I'm interested, it seems to capture, the, it's like a bracket for me. Hide a seeker. It mm -hmm. refers to inner, to outer, to to a whole process, and perhaps even to you as a person, what your life is about. This quest. So I'm interested if you have something that you can share with us about what hiding is for you, and what seeking is for you, and their relationship. Although I think we'll only fully understand it when we read all the stories that it contains. <laughs> yes. And I would say that it, it, yes, these are concerns of mine, but I'm also really interested in other people's hiding and seeking. And I've often been drawn to reading, readings by and just relationships with fellow seekers, spiritual seekers. Um, at the same time, we do hide. And, and, you know, I think there's, 
you know, in the same way, there's that double-edged, um, is that the, even the term, that two-sided experience of wanting to be seen and not wanting to be seen, right? And so I think there's this, you know, it's the same wanting to know, wanting to seek spiritual truth or speak, seek deeper relationships or seek self-knowledge and then not wanting to, wanting to just pull the blinds and put on Netflix and, and hide and not. And so this last year of COVID, I think, has been very rich in that regard because many of us have been forced into more isolation, aloneness, and it's an opportunity to seek, but it's also an opportunity to hide. And I'm just very interested in those, those kind of dueling, I keep using this <laughs> violent language, double-edged sword, dueling, I don't even mean it that way. Those, those maybe contrasting or they seem to be opposite impulses, I don't know that they are because, you know, sometimes it feels really good to hide after, you know, the world's overwhelming or you've just, you know, you're an introvert and you've just outputted a lot of energy. Well, time to go inside. Um, so, yeah, I was interested in that and just the various ways that we hide as human beings through addiction, through self-denial, um, you know, through bad relationships. We can hide in unkindness. Um, yeah, the, the ways we avoid ourselves. Yes. Wow. Yeah. You, by bringing in um, these past, however many months it is, um, I think this will speak to all our listeners. And we've all had to negotiate the inside, outside, the hiding, our seeking, seeking for ourselves as well. So often, right, in our world, we find ourselves through others. But I do want to mention um, also that I've known you in the writing community for a number of, well, for many years, and you have always been someone who has created community for other writers. You do it both, I feel, as a teacher, but you've, there have been many ways in which you've gathered people together, and particularly poets. And I'm, I'm curious, Having now got a fiction under your belt after a number, as you say, 10 years working with it, do you feel that you go into a different place of yourself when you're writing fiction than when you're writing poetry? That's such a good question, Ingrid. Um, let me see, let me think about that for a minute. No. Uh, if anything, I feel I'm very, I'm, I mean, you're always a beginner, right? Perpetual beginner. Um, but with fiction, I really, you know, I've worked really seriously the last 10 plus years. And then I dabbled kind of before, you know, I wrote stories in grad school, I wrote stories in undergrad. So it was always there, but I never really took it on seriously as a practice until about 11 years ago, um, 2010, 2009. And, um, I do not think it is, it is there are different parts of myself or what it is, is trying to bring, you know, when I was talking earlier about the effortlessness, I can feel at times with poetry or this sense that poetry is a genre to bring the, um, I can't remember if I said this on when we were recording or not, but that poetry is a genre for me that can bring in that multitude, those multitudes of experience and 
the many dimensions of human experience, I find easier to get on the page with poetry. What I'm trying to do is bring that to fiction and I find it excruciatingly hard. And um, so it's not that it's different. I think my concerns are the same, just the tools and the um, device, you know, some of the devices are different, you know, trying to put characters together in a more clear way, working with dialogue. I mean, my, my use of plot is rather laughable. I'm not a huge plot person, but you know, working with plot. Um, yeah, and all those things to try and bring the, you know, I, the, my concern is the same, is wanting to bring these experiences to the page. Um, yeah, yeah. There's something interesting, isn't it, about the short story form, whether they're very short or, you know, lengthy. Yeah. It is like creating this room. And again, the echo chamber, in a way, where you can gather both the elements. You do that, uh, as people will hear when we listen to your reading of Haida Seeker, from Haida Seeker, even though it's just the last part of the story, somehow we enter in media race and we're completely there. And I think that's often what poetry can do for us. Just in a, a line, it takes us into a whole sphere, an atmosphere. Yes. Yes, and those, yeah, that, you know, what I, I work a lot with collage, my poems as you know and I would say that the stories are collage in their own way but it's a much more logical or linear collage than I'm used to um, even though again a lot of the stories will be non-linear they'll have flashbacks they'll have flash forwards you know there'll be shifts between scenes but I think that that was the stuff I often resisted because it just seemed, this is just clunky. You know, why, why would I do that? You know, now I have to write another scene, you know, whereas now I'm really interested in, okay, how, what scenes are the most important? What do I need? What needs to be kept in? And like poems where I'll write in, you know, layers and, you know, working with a notebook and, and weaving different lines together with stories, it takes a lot more time and patience. And so all, it will take me weeks weeks, even months to write, months to write a story, really. And so I'll have draft upon draft and I'll just wait sometimes for scenes to come and then write them down and then weave them in and, and you know, have a sense, oh, it's going to go this way. And then I'll be surprised. Or I have a sense it's going to go a certain way and it does end up going that way, but it takes me a while to be able to write those scenes. Um, so it, it's, um, you really, I just find for myself, it really is a matter of tenacity and patience in a much the process is so different from poetry. You know, there's overlaps, but it's so different in terms of just the hours and the time and, and, and the waiting and just being okay with that, that it's just gonna take that long, right? And, and I can't hurry it, I can't hurry. And I'm not always the most patient person. Um, <laughs> people from the outside sometimes tell me that, oh, you seem patient. I'm like, mm, you don't know me very well. You know, I'm really not that patient. It's really something I have to practice very hard. Um, yeah, I hope that answered your question. Did I go on a tangent? More, yeah. more than, yeah. more than. And if there is a takeaway from this conversation, I think you really shared that writing is a very profound practice. 
Jen, it's been a delight speaking with you. Thanks. Great to talk with you, Ingrid. Thank you. excerpt from a short story called Dinner Party from my collection Hider Seeker and this is an excerpt from the end of the story. Rox and I are considering having a kid, I blurt out, which isn't exactly accurate. What we've actually been doing is fighting about it. A kid? She looks surprised but then quickly recovers. How exciting. I'm sure you'll be great parents. I look through the patio doors into the kitchen. Roxanne and Bert are still standing close to each other at the stove. Bert lifts up the wooden spoon to give her a taste of the sauce. I look back down at my drink. I've barely made a dent in it. Rox isn't that into it, to tell you the truth, but I'd like to start soon. I'm not getting any younger. She probably doesn't want to ruin her figure, Sandra jokes. She won't. I'll carry. You? This time it takes her a minute to regain her composure. I mean, you you don't seem like the type. I mean, it's okay, I interrupt. A lot of people assume. I guess because Rox wears dresses, and I don't. I try to rescue Sandra with a joke, but it falls flat. Oh, I didn't assume that. It's just that... She trails off, looking down at the ground. Then she grinds out her cigarette in a jar lid perched on the table and dumps more whiskey into her glass. This time, she doesn't offer me any. Into this uncomfortable silence steps Roxanne, flushed and beaming. Guess what? She rests her hand on the back of my neck, then quickly takes it away as if thinking better of it. Bert just invited me to go to this yoga teacher's training in Mexico. Doesn't that sound fabulous? I look at Sandra. She smiles blithely and takes a sip of her drink. I don't know if we can afford it right now, I say. We have some big expenses coming up. I mean the baby, but Roxanne, either intentionally or obliviously, doesn't clue in. We've got all that savings. Besides, it will be good for me. I need a break. Things have been so stressful lately. Yoga, she throws up her hands dramatically. I'm not sure who she is performing for. Sandra gets up. I better check on that sauce and make sure Bert isn't fucking it up. She smiles. We're left alone, and I feel, as I often have lately, that we don't know what to say to each other. Rox looks defiant. She sits down in Sandra's chair and pulls a cigarette out of the pack Sandra forgot forgot to take with her. She lights it and leans back, crossing her legs. Her red dress rides up her thighs. You've got to quit trying to control me, she says, using a tone she might use to tell me what to add to a grocery list. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of all this. She holds her hand up, 
as if the word she is looking for will fall from the sky and land in her palm. She takes a drag and blows smoke over her shoulder. You're attracted to him, I say flatly. I'm attracted to life. Her tone is accusatory. I'm not life, I guess. My voice sounds pathetic, even to me. You're just, you're just, she pauses for a moment. You're just you. Why does this sound so definite, so much like a final judgment? Bert calls jovially from the kitchen, Dinner's up, crew. Come and get it. I don't know if I've ever felt less hungry. I stare down into my unfinished drink. Rox rises to her feet and shakes out her dress. Her face looks both pissed off and resigned. I wonder how I look to her, and then I realize that this thought makes me feel afraid. We're ready, she says, as she strides toward the open door, toward the smell of garlic and oregano. We're right here. You have been listening to Jen Curran in conversation with Ingrid Rose at reading from her short story, Dinner Party. We conclude this episode with a return to Jen's evocative poetry. Like a presence. Two cats overheard, whispering, her husband's almost dead. Friend bakes a pie with Granny Smith, fashions heart shapes out of dough for the top crust. I'm in a cold room, reading poetry, not knowing how it might feel until snot drips down the pages and tears hold my face like fingers of a consoling hand. We are never alone, I want to tell her, but this is a lie in this moment, for those gray tomorrows, irreconcilable. A survival glance, that's what it's called when we look back. It's winter. I should lift these blinds for what little light for the first, second, or third leg of a journey, willingly. We've reached the end of the mirror. These are pages written by someone in shock.
small solstice. Days of kelp soup and palindromes. God, the ghosts killed our cheeks with kisses, leaving blue imprints, antithesis of rouge. Made up for the party, I refused lipsticks and mascaras, instead settling on a heavy mustache. It suits me, like this second or third hand rule, brown as a suit your grandfather wore to his funeral. He didn't have a three-piece in black, and no one wanted to buy something new for a dead man. I did loan a white shirt and buttoned the buttons, never to see it again, like so many volumes of poetry palmed off to friends. Then clean the house, one, two, three, dust, sweep, mop, dishes shiny with tears. Your grandfather's enjoyment of his first and last cup of coffee. In the warming milk, I stuck a finger and he said, my, what a delicate thermometer. You have been listening to Writers Radio, a non-commercial collaborative project of Ingrid Rose, Carol Harmon, and Gary Sill, which presents talented writers reading their own work. These stories, essays, and conversations revisit the long tradition of oral storytelling. Original music in our programs is composed and recorded by Gary Sill. Be sure to check our website writersradio.ca to listen to podcasts of previous episodes and subscribe to our free notifications of upcoming broadcasts. Writers Radio originates from ancestral lands of the Coast Salish nations, including Vancouver and Half Moon Bay on the Sunshine Coast. We express our gratitude for their many generations of land stewardship Thanks for listening.